Thank you, Kim. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for those of you that are joining us live stream, and particularly, hopefully, my, uh, our grandson, Samson, who is turning four today. Hey, buddy, happy birthday to you. So good to have everybody here today. My name's Dean. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Church of Greenwood. On behalf of our pastoral staff, thank you for being a part of this. We are continuing on in our series on expectations, why Jesus had to come, looking at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ from the perspectives, Pastor Jason talked about that last week, perspectives of the four gospel writers and its meaning for us here today. Uh, The last two weeks, Pastor Jason has skillfully taken us through looking at the perspective from Matthew and from Mark. And by the way, Pastor Jason, his surgery went well on Thursday, successful knee replacement. He's recovering. Uh, Thanks for all your prayers. Good morning, Pastor Jason, and thank you for all your prayers. He's resting better and on his road to recovery, so thank you for all of your involvement with him and interest in him. Uh, He did mention last week in the sermon that he likes painting, so maybe he's taking some time to paint. Uh, Maybe you can ask him for a family portrait or something if uh, he may have time to be doing that uh, over the next few weeks. Anyway, we'll be looking at the perspective of the gospel writer Luke this morning. So if you have your Bibles, have your apps or your devices, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 1. And if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. Uh, The angel Gabriel is speaking to Mary. It says in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Thanks be to God for his word. You may be seated. Uh, It was on this very day, December 19th, 1843. Now, I've been around for a while. I wasn't quite around that far back, but 1843, it was the publication of Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol, Uh, a a great uh, reminder here at Christmas time. It was actually published on his masterpiece, building on a renewed interest in celebrating Christmas that was happening during that time, but also confronting the ills of poverty in society and child labor. There were very clear problems going on, and Dickens wanted to address those. And he does those certainly through the the main character, the businessman Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, portrayed by Dickens as someone of inherent personal greed and very indifferent to the needs around him. And so Dickens brings into play the spirit of his late business partner, Jacob Marley, and the spirits of Christmas's past, present, and future. And whenever I watch or read through the Christmas Carol, I'm always challenged by that last spirit, the spirit of Christmas future, kind of looking like the death angel, and he's pointing to the tombstone, and there's a very scared Scrooge looking at what his destiny may very well be soon. 
And I, I kind of wondered, did we ever get that, did we get that expression, scared the dickens out of them? Uh, certainly Scrooge looked like that as he was looking at that tombstone. But Dickens does a marvelous job and he accomplishes the desired end, the redemption of Scrooge and his significant life change that very night in preparation for Christmas Day. And he did so with the help from a view from the Christmas past, present, and future. This morning, we want to take a look through the Gospel writer Luke, through his perspective of what Christmas accomplished in the past, what it will accomplish in the future, and its purpose for us in the present today. Let's pray. Lord, you know this Christmas season is a joyous time for many, and we thank you for that gift. But for others, they are hurting from loss, from health issues, from relationship problems, from financial concerns, from missing community, from wondering what the new year will hold. Lord, may your word today provide hope and encouragement for all of us in our life's journey. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled the message today, The Christmas Story, Past, Future, and Present. And I believe we can experience a more meaningful Christmas this year and for a lifetime by looking at at two and remembering two ways and reasons why Jesus came from the perspective of the gospel writer Luke. So a little bit about Luke, as Pastor Jason's talked about Matthew and Mark the last couple weeks. Um, Luke is the only, uh, he is a Gentile meaning he's a non-Jew, meaning he is the only Gentile writer of any of Scripture, Old and New Testament. Pretty remarkable. And he is the most prolific writer of the New Testament between the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, He comprises 28% of the New Testament, the most prolific of all the writers. He has a Greek name. It's it's a Luke is contracted from the Latin Lucanus, and as familiar Luke is with the, the society that he's in living in. And it's emphasized with the Greek-Roman culture there. And he is writing to portray a perfect man, the perfect man Jesus, which the Greeks in particular, the Gentiles as a whole, would be understanding. That was his purpose. Luke is a physician. Luke is a historian, he's an author, he's a theologian, and he is a missionary. Matter of fact, he accompanied the Apostle Paul on his second and third missionary journeys and on Paul's first and second trips to Rome for his imprisonment, the first one being just house arrest, the second in a dungeon awaiting his soon execution. Luke was with him. Now, it was really helpful that Luke was a physician because he was traveling with Paul, and Paul writes that he had had beatings, he had had whippings, he had been in a shipwreck, and he had three shipwrecks, actually, and had been in a stoning. So I'm sure it kept Luke very, very busy as a physician taking care of Paul. But it proved that Luke was very loyal, faithful, going through all those circumstances. And all of this background for Luke is important because the Holy Spirit took this background of Luke and superintended over it to provide an account that is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. And those are the three key eyes of all of Holy Scripture. 
And so Luke is writing in his gospel in the first book of Acts, record from the birth of Christ, which we're seeing today, all the way to Paul's first imprisonment. And it was written to strengthen the the lives of Gentile believers, but also present the gospel to non-believers and lead them to Christ. And the gospel, he emphasized the universality of the gospel and salvation to both Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles, to male and female, to rich and poor, and to slave and free, and to religious leaders and tax collectors. Luke encompasses all of that. And finally, Luke is writing about a Savior, a living Savior who came and lived among us and cared, unlike all of the other deities that were around in society and around the world then. A loving God who lived and cared and came to dwell among us. So let's look at those two main points this morning. The First of all, when we look at this passage, we looked to the past that Jesus had to come to bear a cross. Jesus had to come to bear a cross. The background is the angel Gabriel had visited Zechariah and told Zechariah in Jerusalem that his wife Elizabeth, who had been barren, would bear a son, and that child would be John the Baptist. It's now the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and the angel Gabriel comes to Mary in Nazareth. So you get a little perspective there on the map of Gabriel visiting, and he speaks to Mary, announcing that she will give birth to a son also. And so we pick it up in verse 31. Behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The angel Gabriel says that he is a son. You will give birth to a son. Birth from a woman showing Jesus' humanity. Uh, His name will be called Jesus. It is taken from Joshua, Yeshua in the Old Testament, and uh, Jesus in the New Testament. And it means the Lord is salvation. Jesus came to be a savior. Mary picks up on this a short while later, verse 47. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior. And in chapter 2, when the angel of the Lord comes to speak to the shepherds and give them the announcement, he says in verse 11, for unto you today is born in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, the word soter in the, in the Greek, a deliverer, a preserver. And it comes from the root sozo, meaning to save, to make whole, to heal, to provide forgiveness of sin. Luke is writing from the perspective of the universality of everyone needing a Savior and Jesus coming to be that Savior But not only is he a son, he is going to be the son of the Most High, demonstrating Jesus' divinity. Hupsistos is the Greek word meaning supreme, highest rank. Jesus came in his humanity and in his 
divinity. We get a glimpse of that in a very uh, famous passage from the, gospel, from the writer Isaiah looking ahead to the gospel. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we'll look at it a little bit more in detail later. But he says, For unto you a son is born, humanity, unto us a child is given, the divinity of Jesus, even portrayed long before in the Old Testament. And so we get the idea that Jesus is a savior, an understanding of that. Why? Because we have all broken the Ten Commandments, right? We've all done that. We have had other gods in our life besides the true God. We've worshiped him in the wrong way. We've misused his name. We've not always honored or honored wrongly the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. We have not always honored our parents. We have committed murder in our hearts. We've committed sexual sin. We have stolen. We've lied. We have wanted what others have. We have broken all of them. And because of that, the Bible says we are worthy of and deserving of eternal hell separation from God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. But the good news is God in his love for us sent Christ into the world to be a savior and to save us from our sins. And Jesus left the throne of heaven voluntarily to come to earth to be that savior. I know Pastor Jason, one of his favorite passages is from Philippians chapter 2. Listen as the Apostle Paul ties that all together so well. It says, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, a slave, a doulos. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I was looking at that passage and I was thinking, you know, Paul wrote that to, what, to the Philippians and he was in jail for the first time in Rome writing to the church at Philippi and Luke was with him. I can imagine Luke sitting there with Paul dialoguing and Paul saying, uh, the, the Spirit is leading me to write this. What do you think, Luke? And Luke going back and forth on that, one of the great passages of all Scripture. And we sang a little while earlier, mild he laid his glory by. That's what Jesus said, mild he lay his glory by, born that man may no more die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Jesus came and laid himself for us, laid aside his glory. Jesus came to be that savior, to be that perfect man in his humanity. And he needed to be in order to be the perfect sacrifice on the cross. And Jesus came in his perfect divinity as God in order to bear the punishment of sin for us. Jesus coming to bear a cross was foretold in the Old Testament. The psalmists and the prophets, a thousand years before Jesus would be born and would go to the cross, David the psalmist wrote this in Psalm 22. And listen and think about the crucifixion soon to await Jesus. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Verse 16, for dogs encompass me and a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. A thousand years before Jesus came. 700 years before Jesus came. The prophet Isaiah said this in familiar passage in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Foretold by the prophets and the psalmists in the Old Testament, Jesus in his earthly ministry, late in his ministry, even foretold it as well. Luke 18, see, he told his disciples, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and shamefully treat him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. A commentator said about Luke's writing, he said, there is a, in, write, in Luke's writing, there is a relentless pursuit of the cross, a relentless progression toward the cross. And Jesus, who came as a baby, is on that road to the cross to be our Savior. When I was early in my Christian life, I heard an illustration that uh, impacted me then, and I still think about it now, to help me understand better uh, Jesus being Savior. If you could picture all the people of the world, just picture this, but all the people of the world on the west coast of the United States, and they are told that the goal is to swim to Hawaii. And so they take off and they start swimming to get to Hawaii and some don't know how to swim and they're going to go down right away and some maybe a few strokes and they're going to go down. Some uh, work out a little bit and they may get out uh, a little ways, maybe a mile. Some that are Olympic swimmers may get out even a few miles. Now, there's a difference in that but in comparison to getting to Hawaii, none of them will make it. And what they don't need is someone in a boat coming by and saying, okay, stroke this way and breathe this way giving them instructions how to get there because it's not going to matter and they're not going to get to Hawaii. What they need is somebody in the boat to come alongside and throw out a life preserver and get them into the boat and the boat take them to Hawaii. And that's what the Lord Jesus did for us. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Now there's a difference in the morality of people and the way people live, certainly. Some extremely wicked lives and, and uh, hateful, others maybe a little bit more moral, maybe others, but in comparison to God's standard, none of us make it. We all fall short. And we don't need a bunch of rules and regulations on how to get there, right? That's what all religions do. They said, this is how you get there, how you earn heaven. No, we can never do that. We need someone in the boat to take us to the destination. Jesus is the life preserver who brings us into the boat and takes us into the family of God. Amen? That's what Jesus does for us. So we look to the Christmas past, to the first Christmas, and what it means for us that Jesus had to come to bear a cross. So this morning, will you give thanks to the Lord for your salvation?
and what he did as a savior for you. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've never made that step of faith, maybe today to say, Lord, thank you for paying the price for me. Come into my life and save me. Second of all, we look to the future. Jesus has to come to wear a crown. Jesus has to come to wear a crown. Second part of verse 32, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. It was rejected, but he is coming to bring the kingdom again. And Luke portrays Jesus as the one who will come and establish his kingdom. He is coming and we are to be ready and looking forward to his returning and his reigning as he returns. And that is a theme of his return and reign throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, back to that Isaiah passage. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." Daniel, speaking to the most powerful man in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar at that time, said, In the days of those kings in the future, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So Luke, in his writing here, in his perspective, says that the angel is replying and telling Mary He will come from the throne of David. The Lord spoke to the prophet Nathan who was going to speak to David and said this in 2 Samuel 7, 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. Your throne shall be established forever. He will not only come from the throne of David, he'll come and rule over the house of Jacob Jacob said to his son Judah in Genesis 49, the scepter shall never depart from Judah. Matthew in his gospel in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. Jesus came from that holy line just as the angel said. And finally, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, John is caught up into heaven. He sees a glimpse of heaven. He sees the Father on the throne with a scroll with seven seals and no one seemingly able to open it. And John begins to weep because no one can open it. Or so he thinks. But an elder says to him, and one of the elders said, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered conquered through his death and resurrection so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus will take that scroll, he will begin to open it and begin the seven years of tribulation before his return to earth. And he will come and he will visibly set up a thousand year millennial kingdom. And you and I as the church age believers, we will reign with him. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? We will be glorified after we are raptured. We will be glorified whether before or after the trib. And we will be here and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. That whole scenario is portrayed so well in Revelation 19. John says, Then I saw open, behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it faithful and true, and his righteousness makes 
war and judges. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, that's us, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword for which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus coming to return and to reign. The hymn writer says, Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns, all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king throughout eternity. I read those verses in Revelation, I get really pumped up, I get excited about it, about the Lord's return, and I'm happy to be a part of our teaching team here, and we're going to begin starting in the new year at 11 o'clock, offering classes at 11, the first one we're going to offer is Revelation, and hope that you will join us, adjust your schedule to join us, uh, and it'll be a great complement to this year-long series that Pastor Jason's going to take us through, The Hope of Jesus, as we look at his return and reign and the future heaven and earth. Luke perspective about the reign of a king. And so we look to the future, the future Christmas, that Jesus has to come, has to come to wear a crown. And so that should make us think about the present, to go beyond the decorations and presents and cookies and gatherings and all the fun stuff, but to say, okay, what does it mean for me today? Look to Christmas past and remember that Jesus had to come to bear a cross and we look to Christmas future to remember that Jesus has to come to wear a crown so where do we go from here three quick applications as we close this morning the first is this to make sure that we know Jesus to make sure that we know him Paul says I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering and we need to know him. One of the most tragic verses in all of Scripture comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in Matthew 7. said, many will come to me that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? And he will say what? Depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, we need to know him. We need to know him as Savior. Have you done that? Have you trusted him as your savior? Why not let this Christmas time be the one where you have a life change? Oh, not like Scrooge because of the visits of the spirits, but because of the visit of a son of a woman, the son of the Most High who came to be a savior. Second of all, uh, make sure that we are walking in fellowship with and obedience to Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we need to walk in fellowship, obedience with him. And uh, I'm excited to say we've got a lot of discipleship opportunities coming up in the new year where we can grow in that fellowship and understand better that obedience. 
Uh, be involved in a small group. Many of you are. If you're not, I encourage you to be in the small group. Let me know. We'll get you plugged in. Be engaged in it. Have that community. Have that teaching time, that prayer time, that friendship time that's so needed. We're going to be offering classes at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, more classes on 6.30 on Wednesday nights, and hope that you will participate with us. And we're kind of re-engaging men's and women's ministry as well opportunities for discipleship. The hymn writer said, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, what? He abides with us still and to all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Thirdly, lastly, we need to make sure we're ready for and looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, Jesus said, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord will appear. Jesus wants us ready by knowing him. He wants us looking forward to it. He wants us praying. He wants us anticipating, excited about his return. I love uh, Christian Stanfield and Passion Music a few years ago, they had a song that wove that together so well. It says, all of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saint, let every nation shout of his fame. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing, even so come. Lord Jesus, come. There will be justice. All will be new. Your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus is coming soon. Amen? He's coming soon. What will you do this Christmas present? How will you make it most meaningful for you this year and for a lifetime? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us that you left heaven and came to bear a cross to save us sinners as you came as Savior. And we thank you and bless you. Lord, if there be anyone here this morning that needs to take that step of faith, we invite them to pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying for me. Come in and be my Savior, be my King, and help me to know uh, the eternal life that you have come to bring. Lord, we thank you that you reign as sovereign in heaven, so may our lives be ones of obedience and service of gratefulness and fruitfulness. And Lord, thank you that you're returning soon to wear your crown through your millennial kingdom and the new heavens and new earth. May we eagerly desire to be ready for your return. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your name. And God's people said, amen.